Well, today the U.S. government officially declared that Russian military forces led by Vladimir Putin have committed war crimes in Ukraine by hitting civilian targets. Well, since the very beginning of the invasion a month ago now, a UK-based group of researchers known as Bellingcat has been using open source materials such as videos on social media, stuff available online, to document attacks on Ukrainian civilians. They even started an initiative known as the Global Authentication Project, pulling in volunteers to log and map these many incidents. Well, it's not the first time they've done this. They've used these tools to document uh, investigations into important details about the missile launcher that brought down Malaysian Airlines flight MH17 in eastern Ukraine. They identified neo-Nazis in the 2017 Unite the Right rally in Charlottesville, Virginia. They even unmasked a Kremlin hit squad. So now they're documenting the use of cluster bombs amongst other attacks on civilians. Again, only using freely available material from the internet. It's fairly fascinating and I wanted to know more about it. So Joining me now from Amsterdam is Canadian Giancarlo Fiorella, who is a senior researcher with Bellingcat. Welcome to the show. Thank you for being here. Thanks for having me. I guess for those, for listeners who don't understand the work you do, because it is fascinating work where you're essentially using open source material, what's out there to try to investigate uh, you know, all, all measure of stuff, but in this case, potential war crimes or attacks on civilians in Ukraine. How does it work? What do, What is it that you look for when you set out to try and find these materials? So what we're doing is we're looking for open source information that's being shared online. And open source information in this case means anything that somebody might record on their cell phone and share on their Twitter account or a Facebook account. Uh, any information that people take with their cell phones or mobile devices and then put online. And that information is all over the internet, as you can imagine. Obviously, social media is a gigantic thing. And so what we do is we look through all of these platforms and we are looking, as you say, for evidence of in this particular case, speaking about Ukraine, potential war crimes. And it is remarkable, I found, how much stuff is online. Yeah, I mean, there, there's definitely more information out there than we could comb through in, I think, a couple of lifetimes. Um, I mean, the internet is, is, is huge. It's, you know, almost beyond measure. And when you think about all of the data that gets added to it every single day, there's always a backlog of, of information. We're always playing catch up with uh, all of the data that is being shared. And in particular, in a situation uh, like the current invasion of Ukraine, where there is an increase in the amount of data that people are sharing, because again, the people who live in Ukraine who are uh, under, you know, going through this this situation, and they're they're adding extra information. I think that more than they would normally share um, during peacetime. So, what it is? I mean, uh, you're looking, I know, for evidence of of the use of different kinds of of, of munitions. You're looking, I gather, for the evidence of civilian civilians being targeted. Um, how do you, how do you go about assessing whether what you're looking at? How do you figure out what what you're looking at is is what you think it is, and then how do you analyze it? So what we're doing at the moment is casting a pretty wide net, and we're collecting information that shows civilian harm, and so that could be 
building, like a residential building that's been hit in an airstrike, for example. It could be um, a picture from a school um, that shows a, a part of a cluster munition that's been dropped nearby. It could be uh, a video from a hospital that's been bombed. And um, again, we're casting a really wide net. We're, we're looking for images for any kind of evidence of harm to civilian infrastructure or, or to civilians themselves. Later, what we hope to do, once we have identified that data, once we have archived it, so we're, we're, we're sure that it's not going to disappear from the internet, uh, then we would have time to properly go through it and start making determinations like, you know, was this a targeted attack? Uh, what precisely was the munition that was used um, in this case? And those are all determinations that we could make uh, depending on, on the case with, with the open source information that's available online. And you have mapped this out at this point. You are mapping out these incidents. What, have, what does the map look like and what have you been finding in the first, uh, you know, three, four weeks of this war? So uh, that is correct. We have a map up right now on, on Bellingcat, and it's something that we're going to be working uh, on for, for the coming months and, and years. And um, part of the verification process involves determining where an image was taken. So, you know, obviously there's tons of imagery that's being shared online. Um, in order for us to add it to our database of civilian harm, we have to make sure that it really is from Ukraine. And we want to determine precisely where it was taken down to the square. Uh, foot, uh, if possible. And so that process is called geolocation. And what we do is that we look at contextual clues. So this could be information that is in the image itself. If you're lucky, you know, somebody's recorded a video that has um, the name of a store in the background, or you see something like a street sign. Uh, we look for that kind of information. We go to satellite resources like Google Maps, which is again, you know, something that everybody has access to as an open source tool. And then using these open source tools, we're able to pinpoint, in most cases, um, pr precisely where um, a, a video was taken or an image was taken. And so once we have that geographical data, we're able to plot this onto this map platform. And what this allows us to do is to see trends, uh, for example, in frequency of attacks, uh, or frequency of incidents, rather, um, as well as, as geographic distribution. And so if you were to take a look at, our, at the map right now, you would see that there is uh, a large number of incidents in, in the Kharkiv region, uh, around Kiev, of course, which is where, where a lot of the fighting has been taking place. And I'm, and I'm sure that into the future, you know, we'll be able to see those trends again as they, de as they develop. You are able, I mean, I, I guess you really are doing, it must be very time consuming to try to pinpoint each one of these just using visual clues or trying to find um, clues within the post itself to let you know where and when it happened. How, how do you manage to, to figure out which ones are going to be valuable to you and which ones aren't? Yeah, so it can be a really time-consuming um, endeavor. That's, that's true. Sometimes a geolocation can take you just a couple of minutes and sometimes it can take months. So, um, you know, after having done this for a couple of years, I, I think you, you develop a sense of, of images that are going to take shorter amount of time versus longer amount of time. So, as I mentioned earlier, anything that has a street sign 
or uh, you know uh, the name of a store or something in the background, that's probably going to take less time. A lot of the imagery that we're seeing coming out of Ukraine is, is not taken in, in urban centers, large urban centers like here. Have. There's a lot of imagery that's coming from really rural areas, from small villages where you don't, you know, have like a Starbucks in the background or something that you could reference. Those take longer. Um, some, you know, m- most of the time, uh, again, it depends on the image. We can still find them because we still have access to uh, satellite imagery. Um, again, via something as simple as Google Maps. And I should also say that even though we're a small team, we only have about 25 or so employees, we are getting support from uh, a community of um, individuals all over the world who are seeing what's happening in Ukraine and they want to help us. So they've seen Bellingcat's work in the past and they've, they've, they're, they're coming to us or emailing us or sending us messages on Twitter saying, please put me to work. I want to help you verify these images. And so we have a collection uh, uh, of, of, of individuals who are you know, really dedicated and, and inspiring in their work. And we're calling that the Global Authentication Project. And they're really helping us to cut down the time that it takes to verify images because now we've got so many more eyes and so many more brains working on these, on these images. I'm speaking with Giancarlo Fiorella, who is a senior investigator with Bellingcat, uh, a group that uses open source material, uh, stuff you find on Twitter, on the internet, on social media, to document and to pinpoint uh, potential war crimes, or at least potential attacks against civilians in the war in Ukraine. Not the first investigation they've carried out, uh, but this one is certainly one of the, already I imagine, one of the more in-depth ones, given how, just how much material is out there. Uh, when we come back, we'll talk about what will be done with this information in the long term. Really, this is to disprove, in many ways, uh, claims by specifically the Russian government that they're not attacking civilians. We'll be back with that. I'm back with Giancarlo Fiorella, a senior investigator at Bellingcat, a group that uses open source material to pinpoint and to document uh, attacks at this point, attacks on civilians uh, in Ukraine. Giancarlo, one of the things, I guess, what you end up doing is you create this sort of large story about all the different incidents that have happened. And I gather the point then is to distill it into a very targeted and, and, and accurate story detailing specific incidents where civilians were targeted or have been targeted. Sure. So one of the one of the ideas that we have for this map that we've compiled uh, um, is to be able to do precisely that, to take um, maybe patterns that we're seeing in the data or to take specific incidents um, that we've uh, categorized and mapped uh, onto this platform and then turn them into more in-depth investigations. One of the things that we haven't been able to do since this uh, uh, latest invasion began is publish those, those kinds of uh, in-depth investigations for which Bellingcat uh, was known uh, in previous years. And it's because we've been really, really just overwhelmed with the amount of data that's coming out. And we know that the priority when um, uh, there is an influx of data like this from a conflict is to archive uh, the information. So once we've done that, once we've sort of stabilized um, uh, uh, the, the, the data flow and we're, we're able to uh, you know, implement workflows that allows us to, to archive data in a consistent manner, then we would be looking to, to do uh, what you've said, which is to find uh, narratives, um, find angles that would make uh, uh, it possible for us to write an in-depth investigation about, for example, a particular bombing or a particular artillery strike in Ukraine. One of the things that I found interesting, of course, is that this material 
can sometimes um, disappear, right? I mean, people know that you're doing this work, right? For sure. And there is all kinds of reasons why information disappears from the internet. I'm sure you've all come across instances when, you know, you're clicking on a tweet or, or, you know, you think you saw a YouTube video last week and you want to go take a look at it again and you find that it's been deleted. Sometimes the platforms themselves will delete uh, these images. And, and unfortunately, we find that in, in, in the case of, of images from conflicts, images that show graphic violence, the, 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 the result of conflict, social media platforms tend to take those down quickly. And so you have platforms like Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, TikTok that are, that are doing their own internal curation of content. And I say that's unfortunate because these images could be evidence of, of a war crime potentially. And so to lose those images into, you know, the internet ether and they're all, you know, they're always gone forever um, is potentially, you know, deletion of evidence. And so, as I said, we, we, one of the things that we focus on at the very beginning of, of an event like this, of a, of a conflict like this is we, need to establish workflows that ensure the archiving of information so that if Twitter or Facebook or Instagram or even the individual user deletes the image for whatever reason, we still have some access to it. We can still see it so that we can analyze it, even if it's, you know, five or 10 years into the future. Tell me a bit about uh, just what you've seen so far. I mean, you've documented a whole bunch of stuff, but what are you seeing? What trends have you seen in the first four weeks of this conflict? Um, we've seen uh, widespread attacks against um, uh, civilian targets, um, uh, widespread destruction of civilian targets. This includes um, residential areas, so entire neighborhoods that are under constant fire um, from artillery. Um, we've seen also um, explosions at schools and at hospitals, at, at health centers. Um, and so, um, that's, I think the sort of the main trend that I've, that I've noticed is that there, there, there is a, a, a large amount of, of evidence so far in the first couple of weeks of this invasion that shows widespread destruction to, to civilian infrastructures, um, in the conflict zones in Ukraine. And we're, that's certainly not the line we're hearing, obviously, from the Kremlin about, uh, about how civilians are being treated in this. So, Clearly, having this documentation, having this, uh, documenting this as it's happening is, is vitally important, I would imagine. For, certainly. And, you know, you have to think about um, the speed with which international mechanisms like the ICC have mobilized to begin, you know, their preliminary examinations to 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 launch investigations into, again, what what could potentially amount to to war crimes. And so, you know, I, I, I certainly kept up with it more at the beginning than I do now, um, the uh, what the Kremlin was saying. But, yeah, I remember earlier on them saying things like they're, you know, they haven't uh, struck any residential areas or, the, you know, they haven't struck any hospitals or or, or schools. Um, and that, that just wasn't the case. I mean, we were looking at pictures of schools and, and homes, apartment buildings, and hospitals getting bombed while the Kremlin was saying that they weren't doing those things. Um, and so, yeah, as you say, it's, it's really important to, to just have a record um, that these events happened um, and, and to have that hopefully for posterity so that in the future, if there's an accountability mechanism that does um, launch uh, that wants to take a, a deep look at what happened during this conflict, then, uh, you know, maybe the work that we're doing will will help to feed that in the future. 
And you've done this work in the past. I know one of the first to my earliest memories of Bellingcat, of course, was the downing of Malaysian Airways Flight 17 over eastern Ukraine. Uh, you used open source evidence to to track that down. So that would be sort of, and then you produced an investigative piece, essentially, like a you put, produced a document detailing what you had found. Uh, that would be something that would that would be something similar as to what you'd be doing here, I imagine. Certainly, yes. We have uh, we have precedent for this kind of work, as you say. Um, you know, I should say that at Bellingcat, we've always um, aimed for the highest quality um, uh, reports um, that are out there. So our methodology is a very rigorous one. Uh, when we publish um, investigations, we uh, show the reader step by step how it is that we reach our conclusions. We want to be as transparent as possible, not just in our sources, but also in our methodology. Uh, 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 precisely so that somebody like a lawyer or, uh, you know, anybody who, 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 who is able to access our website, essentially anybody who has an internet connection can look at our reports, um, in the future and say, okay, this is a good base for us to maybe begin an investigation because these people did all this hard work a couple of years ago. Giancarlo Fiorella, thank you so much for your time tonight. I appreciate it. Thanks. Thank you so much for having me.